0: This is a CNA Podcast.
1: Top three considerations when buying a rental investment property.
0: Number of units in the development. I don't want a thousand plus unit development where I'm competing with a whole bunch of other landlords. Uh, Number two... Nice place or not, I I don't want people to go yucks the moment they walk in. Number three, matches my demographic. So, it's not always a case of near MRT station, yay, that's a winner. If you're targeting a higher end of tenant who drive, they may want the exclusivity of a quiet low density area.
1: Hey there, you're listening to the Money Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Heng. Now, it's a common belief that investing in property is a great way to make money in Singapore. After all, prices always seem to be going up, and stories of people making big profits are aplenty. Beyond flipping a house for profit, renting out a property can also be a steady source of passive income especially in the current buoyant rental market. In fact, I've met and spoken to a number of people, both local and foreign, and they say they're paying 30% or even double of what they used to pay just a year ago in rent. So is investing in rental properties as attractive as it seems, given the strong demand? In an environment of rising interest rates, high stamp duties, lower borrowing amounts and potential recession on the horizon. Does the math still work out? To help us work out the sums, I have Ryan Ong, partner at real estate consultancy Stacked Homes. Welcome to Money Talks, Ryan.
0: Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me on.
1: So in Singapore, there's a strong belief that the best way to earn a passive income is to have enough money to buy a second property. Is this always the case though, Ryan?
0: Well, the thing about property is that it's not something which is like gold or barrels of oil where we just go all property is just property and it's all the same. Mm-hmm. So it gets a little bit tricky there. It can be a very lucrative investment if you find the right property in the right location to some degree at the right time as well. But it might be an oversimplification to say that you know, just putting into property any property will bring you good results.
1: It's not just so black and white.
0: You do have to be extremely picky, especially at a time like now, this year, when prices are high, as you've mentioned, your know, stamp duties are also higher. So it can be lucrative, but you really need to be extra cautious. You need to hunt very carefully at this point. And it is important probably not to oversimplify property as an investment.
1: Mm. So when you say we have to be extremely picky, what exactly do you mean? What do we have to be picky about? What do we need to look out for?
0: So at the very basic level, if we're looking at you know buying a property to rent out, right? we need to be very clear on what our goals are here. So one example that we often uh, give to other people is, we know an investor, he, he's a retiree, he makes around 3000 a month from his property. Mathematically, if you want to look at all the formulas, it's terrible.
1: Yeah, 3000 is not a whole lot. Yeah,
0: it's not great, right? And his property has a very little resale value as well because he bought a, a very old property. Mm. But the thing is, He's a retiree. He's just looking at continued income for the next 10, 15 years of his life. And he's happy just getting that 3000 So are we going to say that that's a bad investment? I mean, that's pretty subjective, right? And it's down to what he wants. So likewise, if you're buying a rental property, there are again different ideas here. Some people are chasing the highest possible rental yield. Some people want to hold on basically for almost forever till the end of their life and just collect rental income. Some people are also looking at resale gains. Right, They're only looking at renting for a certain time horizon. Maybe mm-hmm. after 10 years, I'm going to sell it. After 15 years, I'm going to sell it. Right, And then their returns are going to be based not just on their rental, but on the resale gains as well. So you need to have a very clear strategy of how it is you're intending to make money here. And that in turn will shape your decision on which specific property asset you pick.
1: Out of all those priorities that you listed, right? Would you say that rental yield and resale gains for later on, would you place them in the same um, level of priority?
0: Not exactly. So let me give you an example. One of my favourite examples here is People's Park Complex, right? Mm. So when it comes to People's Park Complex, I don't think the investors they are primarily looking at rental gains. I mean, this is a building from you know, 1972, right? But if we're just going to look purely in terms of gross, gross rental yield, with regard to People's Park Complex. You know, this is one building where you can still get a three-bidder that's over a 1,000 square feet for around 1.08 million. That was the transaction last year. And People's Park Complex is fairly central, a Chinatown location, right? And the rental there in the past six months has been over Mm 4,500 a month. So you're looking at a gross rental yield of like around 5%. If your idea is to get some resale value out of it, that's uh, probably still not going to be my first choice. But Mm -hmm. if your idea is just to have something to hold on to and then just get rental out of it for years and years on end, that might actually be an okay decision.
1: Let's say I'm shopping around for my second property, especially financially, right? We prefaced the conversation about having stamp duties to consider. There's also total debt servicing ratio. Could you walk us through those factors to consider?
0: Right. So the biggest factor here, I think, is probably going to be the additional buyer stamp duty, the ABSD. So if you have a current home and then you buy a second one, if you're a Singapore citizen right now, you'll pay uh, 17%. If you are a permanent resident, it's higher. It goes up to like 25%, right? So if you were to buy, say, for example, a property that's $1.5 million, your ABSD would be around 255000 which is quite a substantial amount.
1: Wow, that's a quarter of a million.
0: Yeah. So this is really something that you need to process because you need to think how many months, how many years of rental income you need to generate just in order to break even after you've paid for that ABSD. So that is probably the main consideration here. The other consideration, the one that you mentioned, the total debt servicing ratio. So this just means that your total home loan repayments, uh, inclusive of other debt obligations, your car loan and so forth, it cannot cross uh, 55% of your monthly income. If it would cross that amount, then you need to make a bigger down payment just to shrink the monthly repayment amount. It's also worth noting that if you have an outstanding property loan, the amount that you can borrow on subsequent home loans will Mm. be less. It will decrease as well. So generally, in our experience, we see that it's usually people who are not taking on a second property loan. It's usually people who have paid off the first property who are then considering purchasing a second one. Mm.
1: So you really need to get your finances in order and really make sure all those calculations work out. And especially, I think the number of loans that you have to buy a second property.
0: I think the restrictions are good, right? Because they stop people from over-leveraging. And I think just from the point of view of prudence, it's probably best not to have two ongoing home loans at once unless your income really is very high, of (laughs) course.
1: I would like to know the secret to that if it ever came through for me. (laughs) Okay, so looking at the property market now, I mean, I bought my HDB flat at a really exorbitant price. It's an old flat in the east. It was close to a million. It's a miracle I was even able to afford it. So obviously, the property market is at an all-time high. I'm hearing prices for my kind of flat 100000 higher now. And that's just HDB. We haven't even touched on private property, what kind of prices we're seeing there. So there's also new launches we hear that are going at $2,100 per square foot. Are there still units that an investor can pick up? Where are they? What kind of viable units are there out there?
0: Yes, it is true that around 2,000 per square foot is fast becoming a norm for new launches. We're seeing this even in non-central regions now. That doesn't mean that there are no viable investments in terms of new launches. It just means that you do need to understand your investment horizon. Again, you're going to be in it for a lot longer just to break even, right? And it can be viable if you have a very solid location, if you are near a place that can capture the returning tide of foreign workers, for example, because uh, now COVID is over. And to some degree, it's compensated for by the fact that the rental market Mm -hmm. is also at an all-time high. So this is probably the highest we've seen in, in like over six years, to some degree that does compensate a little for the pricing. But I hesitate to say that that alone makes it all right because we don't know how the rental market will be two years from now, three years from now. And of course, this is a property that you're going to be holding on for probably longer than just two or three years.
1: Would you say then that a new launch is something that I should go for or can I start looking at the resale market for my second property in terms of what's worth it?
0: Okay. Personally, just as a matter of personal opinion, I would look around more in the resale market right now. Mm. Because as I've mentioned, the new launches tend to be kind of on the pricey end at the moment. The numbers are the most important thing. And resale condo is where I may still be able to get a three beta at prices of like 1.5 million, 1.6 million. If I were to go for that size for the new launch, it's probably going to be 2 million plus.
1: So, the resale market, you personally would think is a better way to go.
0: If you look at it from the point of view of a tenant, right? Yes, it's nice to rent a newer property, but how much more are you willing to pay just because that property is newer, Yeah. right? exactly. So, you tend to generate roughly the same amount of rental income, maybe a little bit more because your facilities are a little bit nicer and a little bit newer.
1: But that only lasts for a few years though, right? Like the first few years that it's new, right? Because it's only new for so long.
0: Yes, And now with rental rates being so high, tenants are getting quite picky as well and they're getting quite calculative. So now they're looking at it and going, do I really want to pay this much more rent just because, you know, the gym is like a little bit nicer (laughs) or there's like an extra wading pool, right? Mm. So... With regard to that, I would personally be looking more at the resale market now if I'm looking at a rental investment.
1: But there are a lot of other factors to consider as well, like if it's near an MRT station, if it's near a town centre.
0: This is where we need to look at the issue of rentability, which is not the same as Mm. rental yield. You can have a, a condo that is highly rentable in a highly desirable location. I mean, I could have one that just near Orchard MRT station, for example, I'm sure lots of people want to rent there. But at the prices that I'm paying, that may end up being a pretty bad rental yield, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly, you could find an older place that's extremely cheap. You deliberately find one that's in an advanced state of least decay, uh, a little rundown, right? Your rental yield could be very high, but then you might be seeing vacancies because people look at the place and they go, ugh. No, not not. Yeah, Yeah. there has to be a a balance (laughs) there.
1: I was just going to say, that sounds like a very tough balancing act.
0: There isn't really a fixed formula that we can give you as to how to immediately spot where this balance is. That's where experience and your own kind of acumen comes in, being able to read that property and find it. So that's why to to some degree, rental properties, it's both an art and a science. A lot of it is just willingness to do the legwork cannot just look at the numbers on the internet and then go, I feel this is right. You really do have to physically go down, walk around, check it out.
1: Just put yourself in the tenant's shoes, really. Yes, mm. absolutely. So, we have these high interest rates. They're not going to go away anytime soon, obviously. At least for this year, we're going to see these elevated interest rates, right? will current rental prices cover my mortgage for the second property if I were to go ahead and I found the right one?
0: This is something a lot of people don't realise. Did you know the interest rate portion on your mortgage is uh, tax deductible if you're renting it out? Oh! Yeah, that actually is. That certainly helps a little bit, right?
1: We can hear voices everywhere just breathing a sigh of relief right there.
0: Even an, a, an increase now that we're seeing, like we're getting to like about 3.8% almost 4% fixed. Your rental income may not cover your entire monthly loan repayment. You may not be cash flow positive, but Mm -hmm. most of the time, it will almost certainly cover at least the interest portion. For many investors right now, what they'll tell us is it's at least covering the maintenance costs of the condo and it's at least covering a little bit more even than the interest rate portion. But you are still going to be forking out money. It's not likely to cover the entire loan amount.
1: Hi, my name is Julie Yu, and I'm the host of the Climate Conversations. Each week, I speak to guests who give us tips on how we can protect the Earth. Every once in a while, we also have interesting stories, like how Singapore's first Tesla owner prompted billionaire Elon Musk to reach out to Prime Minister Lee Long, or a chef who makes the juiciest burgers from only plant-based ingredients. For more stories like these, look for the Climate Conversations on our CNA and Me Listen apps or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk now about someone who owns an HDB flat and a private residential unit. So I would think the best of both worlds <laughs> in a way. <laughs> I have a piece in each pie, right? Which one should I rent out?
0: Just to go by maths, of course, the cheapest one, so the HDB flat will get you a better rental yield. This is pretty much the the usual approach, right? If you have both, most people are staying in the private one and then renting out the HDB. But if you're just looking in in terms of sheer rental amount, the sheer dollar amount that you want to collect every month, then, uh, of course, you may want to do it the other way around.
1: So my next question, is Singapore's rental market sustainable enough to warrant owning a piece of property. I know that rental demand is very high now, but is there, I guess, a consistent level of rental demand that it warrants me buying a second property to rent?
0: So, if we're talking in terms of demand, I mean, historically, yes, if you look at how the Singapore property market has performed, uh, there are several fundamentals that continue to make Singapore a pretty desirable place to be. We still ultimately have a growing population. I know we say we need more children and such, but we we are a growing population, uh, generally speaking, right? And of course, this is a great place to work, live, and so forth. So on a very, very broad scale, yes, I do think fundamental demand is going to be there for a very long time. But as to whether this can benefit you as an individual when you're about to start investing, it's less about the aggregate demand for Singapore and the overall market, and it's more about your own personal financial position, really. I think that's about 80-90% of the equation here, right? Whether you have sufficient holding power if you were to buy a property, mm. whether you would be in trouble if you bought it and you and no one's renting it, right? If no one rents it for about six months, are you still okay to be in that situation, yeah. I would focus less on issues like, uh, is there going to be you know, continued demand in Singapore and all that? I will focus more on what's my financial position and can I handle it? And ultimately, is it hitting the financial goals with those numbers?
1: So let's say a scenario has changed, COVID 2.0 comes along, oh or for some other reason, what could be other factors to help prop up the rental market?
0: So at the moment, I think we are seeing a little bit of help that we've uh, underrated, uh, which is that besides foreigners coming back and renting, right? We have locals renting as well because they're waiting for their places to be built. I think this has contributed a little bit more to the rental market as well. Right. And I think it's something that we don't look at often enough. But as to another scenario where we have a COVID 2.0 and we have people unable to, to come in here and we have people unable to come in and rent. Yes, I would say, yeah, then you have a problem as a landlord at that point. And that's why I say it's very important to have sufficient holding power to be prepared to handle these sorts of vacancies. There is no way I or anyone else can tell you that we will never end up in a situation where rental demand sharply drops. Mm-hmm. It could happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. A lot of times it's not within our control either. Yeah. So definitely. I think the question that you posed to the landlord is whether we do have the ability to ride through if we have the stomach for it, really.
0: Way back during the global financial crisis, this was in like 08 or 09, I also knew some landlords who had bought uh, properties within the CBD area. During that crisis, some of them were saying they were having issues because companies were slashing housing allowances and they were getting Singaporeans to work instead of bringing in foreigners because they were cutting costs at that point, right? Just like COVID, this was nothing that anyone could have seen coming. I mean, no one had the Crystal ball to say that just almost overnight in a few weeks, this will happen. This could well happen. We might see scenarios where rental demand sharply drops. And if you're mm. going to be a landlord, you do just have to be braced for these scenarios.
1: So I've milked the rental market and say I'm ready to retire. Well, generally speaking, I'm ready to retire and also from the rental market, right? So what do I do with my property now? At what point do I decide to sell it or do I hang on to it? And if I do hang on to it, for how long?
0: Neither answer is wrong or right. Again, it really depends on what makes you feel most comfortable in terms of your financial planning. So as I mentioned earlier, we know one investor who's just happy getting his 3000 ish a month. If you feel that you would be happy doing that, then by all means, just hold on, keep renting, use that to supplement your CPF payouts and such, right? On the other hand, you might be in a situation where you decide you might want to sell, move to somewhere smaller, and then have like a huge nest egg for retirement. That could work as well. That's when you liquidate everything and then move to like a smaller unit.
1: Mm. But either way, you're going to get some money out of it, whether it's every month or whether it's one big lump sum that ends up in your bank account.
0: If you have two properties, that's kind of nice because you have an option that you can stay in your flat and rent out your private if you want more money, right? Or you stay in your private, you rent out your flat and yeah. Yeah, either way.
1: way. Okay, so there's no right or wrong answer really.
0: (laughs) It really depends on how you see your own retirement.
1: yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so it looks like rental demand in Singapore seems constant and even if we do see increased supply in the market, chances are... There's always someone out there looking to rent. Could this be a viable investment option for you? We hope you found some answers in this episode. And with that, thank you so much, Ryan, for your insights on the property landscape and, you know, the factors beyond just affordability when it comes to buying property for rental income. And thank you to you too, our listener. If you've enjoyed this episode of Money Talks, there's more content for you to enjoy. Simply follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us five stars or leave a review while you're at it. Or write to us at cnapodcasts at mediacorp.com.sg. The team behind Money Talks is Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan, Sai Yuin, Crispina Robert, and I'm Andrea Hin.